Welcome to this special Floating in Darkness episode of the Orbital Perspective podcast. In this episode, we'll be making a deep dive into one of the key messages contained in my new book, Floating in Darkness, A Journey of Evolution. The book describes how my experience as a combat fighter pilot and as an astronaut has illuminated a path towards understanding the meaning of life and our place in the universe. I know that's a pretty tall order, but uh, <laughs> I'll leave it up to you guys to figure out if uh, I made a dent in that mystery. But this episode was originally aired live as part of my five-part Floating in Darkness live stream event series. If you haven't registered for this free series, you can do so at floatingindarkness.com. And as a special gift for tuning into this episode, if you use the coupon code FUTURE on the pre-order tab of floatingindarkness.com, you will get 25% off the retail price of the hardback book and a free ebook download coupon. Thank you so much for being aboard for this journey of adventure. And now, it's on to the show. July 20th, 1969. At some level, I realized that we had just become a different species. We were a species no longer confined to our planet. And I wanted to be a part of that group of explorers. That, I think, started me on, on a journey of curiosity. I think it started me on a, a lifelong journey to be able to fulfill that dream of, of one day flying in space. Bill Anders, who took the famous uh, Earthrise photograph, said, we went all this way to explore the moon, and what we discovered in the process was the Earth. I remember when I looked out the window, I was, I was hit with this sense of extreme gratitude. Now, gratitude for the opportunity to see the planet from that vantage point, and gratitude for the gift of the planet that we've been given. I mean, it is just absolutely indescribably, breathtakingly beautiful. I'm on this space station that was built by 15 different nations that somehow found a way to set aside our differences and work together and build probably the most complicated, complex structure ever built and, and build it in space. Imagine what we could do if we could take that same level of cooperation and bring it down to the Earth's surface. I think there is something that changed in me and I think that thing that changed is my definition of the word home. Traveling away from our hometown or our nation or our planet gives us the opportunity to look back upon ourselves and to realize what we have always been. That realization is one of the, the most uh, important things that we get from exploration. Hey everyone. Welcome to episode one of the Floating in Darkness live stream series. I am really, really thankful that you guys are along on this journey with me. So welcome aboard. Uh, this is uh, the first of a five-part series. Um, and the objective of this series is to put some messages out into the world. Um, basically, you know, we are in a situation right now where we have tons of crises that we're facing and we need a pretty big course correction. And we need a course correction looking out on a time horizon of 50 years. And um, that was my motivation for writing the book Floating in Darkness, to put messages out into the world that will help nudge the trajectory of our society, hopefully, uh, in the right direction. Um, and so that that is uh, 
where these messages are going to come from. Um, and uh, I want to remind everybody that this is this is supposed to be and it's designed to be uh, interactive. So give me your questions and comments. I want you to be a part of this. I am going to have a special guest, a, su a surprise guest uh, in a little bit. Um, but I, I really want you to be a, a part of this uh, conversation. And again, it's all centered on uh, my upcoming book, Floating in Darkness. And so let me just uh, give you a, a little introduction to that. white light streams out from behind earth. I am engulfed in colorless radiant light that seems to be emanating out of cold emptiness and traveling through cold nothingness. The light streams over and around me and a hint of peaceful serenity awakens inside me. Beyond my view of the sparkling ISS, a rocky coastline on an unrecognized continent drifts into view. Sunlight bathing newly awakened snow-capped mountains into the glory of a new day. I imagine there are people down there somewhere, just starting their day, who are also witnesses to this exquisite beauty from a different but no less compelling perspective. I wish we could share notes. The complex immensity of the ISS against the backdrop of our indescribably beautiful Earth 240 miles below thrust me into a singularity. The entire universe peels away the blanket of danger, the thoughts of upcoming tasks, the feelings of fatigue, the excitement of being in space are all displaced by a singular vision of beauty. The truth that is blatantly apparent from this vantage point is that every living thing on the planet and the planet itself are inexplicably interconnected and interdependent. What's obvious from this vantage point of physical detachment from Earth is that we are not from Earth. We are of Earth, all of us, every living creature. Well, I hope you like that uh, excerpt, and I see f a whole bunch of folks popping in. So, hey, Loretta. Hey, Michael. Uh, hey, Ron. Linda. Oh, okay. I see Linda's here. Uh, we'll get back to you in a second. Uh, Jackie, Elisa, Mindy. Hey, everybody. Thanks, uh, thanks for joining. Uh, as, I, as I said uh, up front, the motivation for writing the book and the motivation for the series is to hopefully uh, help us with a course correction. Um, we've got all these crises that we're facing. We've got racial unrest. We've got economic crises. We've got COVID-19. But I think all these are but symptoms, as bad as they are, they're but symptoms of the underlying 
root cause, the underlying crisis that we're facing. And, and that's that we're moving away from our true unity. We're moving away with this false sense of separation. And um, what I want to do is I want to play for you the um, prologue of, of Floating in Darkness in, in, in video format. And uh, the purpose of the prologue is to serve as an allegory is to it's it's deeply abstract it's a little bit weird i'll tell you that right now that it's it's <laughs> it's going to be a little bit weird but as as we're watching that i want everybody to to think about what what it is they're watching and i'm going to be looking at as we're playing it i'll be looking at the comments and questions i might even pop stop it and pop in and uh and, and discuss it but as weird as it is and metaphorical as it is and abstract as it is it's all there for a reason it's to set up the, the major messages of the book. I also, I, I'm so thankful that you're all here. And I, I also want to uh, highlight the fact that uh, we have a pre-order campaign for the book right now. Initially, the book was going to come out, we wanted it to come out in November. Um, and that's because I saw this, this divisiveness and this polarization coming to a head. And the main message of the book is unifying. It's, it's, over, it's about overcoming our divisiveness. And so I wanted to get that out into the world, uh, but we couldn't, we couldn't do that in time. But that doesn't stop us from getting the messages of the book out into the world. And that's why, that's why we have this series. But for everybody who's watching today, I've got uh, this promo code um, that you can use future. If you go to flowingindarkness.com forward slash order and use future for, you'll get 25% off. Um, uh, on the pre-order and we've got a big pre-order campaign going. So I encourage everybody to do that. So um, I think we're ready to start the prologue. Like I said, I, I want you to, I want you to um, put in the comments or the questions, um, what you think's going on, where this is going. And like I said, if, if, if possible, I'll pop in and, and we'll discuss it. And uh, we could take a pause on the video at any time and, uh, and discuss it. So with that, I'm going to introduce the prologue of Floating in Darkness. Prologue, the red shift of an expanding universe. In a single flash, the dark and still universe explodes in an exponential fury of light and energy. Specific points of matter align under the careful supervision of an invisible design. Creative intuition seamlessly merges with disciplined focus, forming specific points of universal matter. Each point of matter is imbued with an important, predestined, and necessary purpose that serves a greater plan, a note in a grand and ancient symphony. As more matter organizes into groups and functions, an altruistic hierarchy develops. At the top of the hierarchy, groups transmit and receive the most precious natural resource in the universe, information. Information ripples in waves and bursts from all points and in all directions. Individual points of matter communicate with each other over vast distances, a cosmic dance. As the complexity of the material universe reaches critical mass, a primordial certainty 
echoes throughout creation in a loud, simultaneous proclamation. We are one. A silent sleep then gently descends upon the creation. I am awake. For the first time, I realize that the communication I experience constantly is coming from me. I am awake is my first acknowledged thought. I am alone. If my awareness comes from me and there is nothing else, am I alone? Is my awareness all that exists? I hope not. I long for others. I long to belong. I feel. I feel something pushing against me that makes me wonder if I have boundaries. It seems that there may exist an other that is not me. It seems that this other just put pressure on me, which I suppose means I must have boundaries. Through touch, I can also determine this other's boundaries, the boundaries of my universe. March 14, 1961, in the news. A B-52 bomber carrying nuclear weapons crashed near Yuba City, California today, the second such crash in two months. The previous crash of a nuclear weapon carrying B-52 occurred in late January near Goldsboro, North Carolina. I hear. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause it there for a second, and uh, uh, I I want to I want to give you a hint on what's going on. It's not going to be a big hint, but my special guest that we're gonna have on in a little bit uh, is the co-star of the prologue. So there's two main characters in this story uh, that you're hearing, um, and I'm not talking about uh, the like a newsreel that you just saw. Uh, that's something else. Uh, but there's two main characters in this, well, let's put it this way. There's two main literal characters. There, there's many, many characters in this, but from a literal uh, foundation, there's two main characters. And my special guest will be the co-star of, of that. And so, like I said, give me your comments, give me your questions. Let me let me know what you think's going on here, and uh, and we'll and we'll talk about it when we can. All right, back to the prologue. Not long ago. I started hearing things other than my thoughts. None of what I hear makes any sense. Could there be more to reality than what I sense? Another world? Others like me somewhere? Am I hearing the thoughts of others? April 12th, 1961, breaking news. Russia has put the first man in orbit around Earth and returned him safely. A Soviet Air Force major, Yuri Gagarin, 27, father of two, circled Earth in 89.1 minutes before returning. The official Russian news agency TASS reported, Gagarin had launched from a top-secret Soviet military installation within the Kazakh Soviet Socialist Republic and later landed at 2.55 Eastern Standard Time. Upon his return, Gagarin commented, I saw for the first time how beautiful our planet is. Mankind, let us preserve and increase this beauty and not destroy it. The sounds I hear have changed. Until recently, they seemed strange, distant, and random. But now, I occasionally hear muffled thoughts. I, I can't make sense of the sounds, but they definitely resemble the pattern of my thoughts. I see. For the first time, I realize that I have been floating in darkness. I didn't know what darkness was until I saw light. Now my world cycles between periods of complete darkness 
and a perceptible dim red glow. Within the red glow, I can make out shapes, I can determine the direction of sound. I am beginning to see my world. May 5th, 1961, the United States first spaceman, Alan B. Shepard Jr., rocketed briefly across the threshold of space today and landed safely after a 5,000 mile an hour journey that carried him 115 miles high and 302 miles down range. The pickup occurred at 10.53 a.m., 19 minutes after the Redstone booster blasted off from Cape Canaveral at 10.34 a.m. The 37-year-old Navy commander's good condition was evident throughout the flight when Shepard reported such things as what a beautiful sight in describing Earth below. I love. Ever since I first saw light, I feel something I can't fully explain. I feel that I am wrapped in warmth and well-being, that I am protected and cared for. I am starting to believe that I am not alone. A strong desire to be with others is awakening within. May 14, 1961. Today, as a Greyhound bus arrived in Anniston, Alabama, carrying so-called freedom riders, an angry mob of about 200 white people surrounded the bus. The driver continued past the local bus station, followed by the mob in automobiles. When the bus's tires blew out, a firebomb was thrown into the bus. The Freedom Riders, who had been seeking to test the segregation of interstate transportation facilities, escaped the bus as it burst into flames, only to be brutally beaten by members of the surrounding mob. Other Freedom Riders traveling on a second bus arrived in Birmingham, Alabama. An angry white mob, many of whom brandished metal pipes, beat those riders too. Birmingham Public Safety Commissioner Bull Connor said he knew that violence awaited the Freedom Riders, but that he posted no police protection at the station because it was Mother's Day. It is becoming clear. All right, we'll take we'll take another break. Lots of great ideas coming in here. Uh, as you can see, there's some juxtapositioning going on between uh, some peaceful, ser serene scenes and some not so peaceful and serene scenes. Um, let's see, there was a, a is this is this awakening to the self? Uh, was one of them. Um, let me let me let me just say this: there are no wrong answers so far, <laughs> and actually, I don't think there'll be wrong answers at all because part of the objective here is for people to pull their own meaning out of this. But what I will say is, what we're watching right now has an intended literal meaning, and many many layers of underlying metaphorical meanings. And this is serving as an allegory for the messages uh, that are going to be contained in the book. And so um, all of the all of the metaphorical meanings that have been popped up into into the comments so far uh, have all been intended. Uh, and there's there's a lot more there. So um, I'm probably going to let this play to the end now. Um, I'm not sure how much more we have, about maybe about five more minutes. Um, and then we'll jump right into the discussion. And again, the co-star, think about who the co-star could be uh, of this prologue, is going to be joining me soon. That I am indeed hearing the thoughts of others. I don't know what they're saying, but I can tell when they're happy and when they are sad. Why are these others such a mystery to me? Why can't I see them or speak to them? Are they like me? I don't know who I am or what I am, but I love where I am. Whenever I feel the slightest need or discomfort, I am immediately soothed. I feel constant, sustaining, and protecting energy flowing to me. I suspect 
there's a larger world than what I am presently experiencing. August 13th, 1961. In the early hours of the morning, the quietness of East Berlin's deserted streets was shattered by screaming sirens as police cars sped through the city. This occurred shortly after the communist Warsaw Pact states declared that effective controls must be put into force on the borders of West Berlin because of a perfidious agitation campaign by the West. As of now, the border between East and West Berlin is effectively closed. East German troops are standing guard at the Brandenburg Gate, the main crossing point between the eastern and western sectors. This will affect thousands of East Berliners who daily commute to work in the western sector. The closing of the border came after East Berliners had waited nervously yesterday for the Iron Curtain to ring down on refugee escape routes to the West. I now realize that I live in two worlds. One is a world of alternating darkness and dim red light, where everything is familiar, comfortable, and right. But every now and then, I feel this familiar world slipping away. All that is familiar starts to vanish, only to be replaced with a new world that has no boundaries. This other world is the opposite of familiar, and everything is novel and exciting. In it, I see a blur of red, purple, blue, orange, green, and turquoise, each in turn becoming dominant. Here, I have freedom to do whatever I like. Here, I see many others with unique forms. Somehow, I communicate with these others effortlessly. I hear their thoughts. They hear mine. It's as if their thoughts are mine and mine are theirs. Though they are separate from me, an unbreakable force binds us. In this boundaryless world, we can simultaneously understand how everything is intimately tied together and dependent on each other, while not losing the realization of our own distinct existence. Normally, just when I really start to get used to this boundaryless world, the world of alternating darkness and dim red light creeps back in and I return to the familiar, comfortable, and right. But just now, while deep into the world without boundaries, I feel vibrations. These vibrations are barely perceptible and don't distract me from enjoying the freedom of the boundaryless world. Slowly and steadily, however, they increase in strength to a crescendo and then decrease beyond my perception over and over. I imagine a giant being, many times bigger than my entire world, slowly approaching me, coming so close that I feel I can reach out and touch it. I haven't yet worked up the courage to reach out before the vibrations retreat. I'm not sure which one of my worlds I'm in. I feel stronger and faster vibrations. They jolt me back into the certainty of the world of alternating darkness and dim red light. Suddenly, things no longer feel familiar, comfortable, or right. The vibrations become almost unbearable and push me in from all sides. They squeeze me so tight that I feel part of me spilling outside of my boundaries. Just when I think I'm about to turn inside out, the world around me expands back to its usual size. Then it shrinks again, this time around the top of my head. What's happening? Suddenly, my head feels cold. The rest of me, however, feels squeezed and hot. Am I dying? My world is crashing in on me. If this continues, I will surely cease to exist. I want this to stop. I want to return to the familiar, comfortable, and right. Then, harsh, 
Colorless, radiant light engulfs me, and I am no longer squeezed at all. I am bathed in cold white light coming from every direction, streaming over and around me. I can now clearly hear thoughts that are not my own. I still don't know what they're saying, but for the first time, I am sure they are not from me. Although I am no longer being squeezed, my insides are pulling in from my core. A great pressure is building up outside of me that could destroy me. I need to fight to stay alive. To survive, I must let go, but how? The link between me and from where I came must be severed, and that terrifies me. Then the link is cut, and like that, a part of me opens up and the great pressure enters me. I feel relief. For the first time, I hear something that I know is coming from me. I find myself taking in some substance from outside of myself and giving it back, all accompanied by a strange, loud sound. What is this substance? Where does it come from? It seems to be keeping me alive. I am being held. I now fully understand that I am not alone. There are others out there. You are one of them. And I am sharing this story with you and all the others. Another is looking at me. I see joy, love. I stare back at this other and notice the bright white light is softly dimming. I feel myself slowly being pulled back to the world without boundaries. October 30th, 1961. Russia has exploded the world's largest ever nuclear device, provoking widespread condemnation from around the world. Called the Tsar Bomba, it is believed to be 50 megatons, equivalent to 50 million tons of TNT. This caused the biggest ever man-made explosion in history. The test, the 26 in the current series, was carried out over the Arctic island of Nevaya Zemya, despite repeated objections from the West. Shockwaves from the explosion were first picked up at the Seismological Institute at Uppsala in Sweden at 0830 hours GMT. Hey everyone, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed uh, that video of the prologue narration. Um, as advertised, uh, you probably found it a little weird. I know I found it a little weird when I when I wrote it. Um, but it, everything in there is there for a reason. And uh, my goal uh, and objective in writing the prologue was to have a reader, uh, as they read it, say to themselves, uh, yeah, this is a little weird. I don't know where this is going, uh, but I'm I'm very interested in where it's going. I want to I want to hang on to the journey. I want to join this journey so I could find out where this is going. And so I hope I hope that's how you viewed it, and uh, that you're along for this journey with us because um, I think it's going to be a very fruitful uh, journey of of discovery and uh, of of learning and of um, self exploration. Is maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a good word, but the prologue has a literal meaning and then many, many layers of underlying metaphorical meanings and everything, both the literal meaning and the metaphorical meaning uh, and everything that was contained within is there to set up the messages that are going to be contained in the main body of the book. Um, in particular, the last part of the prologue is there to serve as a, as hopefully a very powerful juxtaposition 
between the ending of the prologue and the opening of the first chapter. Uh, and so, but that's a, that's a <laughs> that'll be a topic for for another discussion. But uh, I'm I'm glad that you're on this journey with us. And uh, with that, I want to um, bring on board this conversation my co-star of the of the prologue. And I'm not going to say why this person is the prologue. I'll, I'll let you figure that out if you haven't already figured out who it, who it is. Uh, but if you haven't figured it out yet. Uh, as my guest uh, and I have a conversation, if you do figure out who the, the importance of, of, of the co-star of the prologue and what their role it was in the, in the prologue, then, then put that in, in the comments and, uh, and we'll, we'll take a look at that. So with that, I want to introduce to everybody uh, the co-star of the prologue to Floating in Darkness. Linda Lickblau, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> Doing good. Uh, Linda's coming to us from Port St. Lucie, Florida, from her from her studio. Uh, she is a world-renowned artist um, who paints under the name Linda Rellis, which is her maiden name. Uh, and uh, she's joining us today from the studio. So th thanks for joining us, Linda. Pleasure. So there might be some people uh, out there watching this right now who have not yet figured out your role in this story, your role in the, particularly in the prologue. Uh, actually, you, you're not just in the prologue, you're, you're in various places throughout the book. So um, maybe to start out, why don't, can you share, share with everybody your initial reaction to what you read in the prologue when you, when you first read it? Uh, my initial um, interpretation of it was that it was the development, the physical development of a new being and uh, experiencing all of the new sensations that one would feel at the beginning and uh, floating in darkness physically, mm -hmm. but yet oblivious to all the things that were going on in the outside world. And that's where I stopped, basically. <laughs> okay. All right. It, it wasn't, you know, as I read it, I read the prologue a second time, yeah. and I began to think about the events that you mentioned that were going on in 1961. And it was, it was such a sharp contrast between, you know, the innocence of the beginning and then the realities of, the harshness of man's abilities for destruction. Right. And then I started thinking about lots of other things about which I'm not going to tell you about right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so let's talk about the literal meaning, right? And so how do we how do we say this without giving the whole thing away? So you, so you say that what you got from the reading was that it was the development of a being, the physical development of a being. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was a juxtaposition between uh, what the being thought its universe was and an outer world that uh, was not as peaceful, let's say, as exactly. the world. And so I remember the first time you read this, you were not aware of your starring role in it. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't recognize the first time you read it uh, the part that you played in that, 
Um, I don't know if there's a way for you to talk about that without giving away your role, but if there is. <laughs> um, yeah, it was completely foreign because I was getting a perspective from a different, you know, a different being's view. And I didn't know where it was going at first. Yeah. I have to be perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah. But, well, uh, so maybe it's time to, to to reveal why you're the co-star of that. And so um, maybe as a way to set that stage is um, the purpose of Floating in Darkness, of the entire book, that, well, or the vehicle that I used in Floating in Darkness is an, autobiograph an autobiographical narrative uh, where uh, specific events in my life, you know, flying in, uh, fighting in combat, you know, ejecting from an F-16, living on the bottom of the ocean, living in space, you know, facing all of the of the challenges, uh, living in a world where you know current events were pushing us to the brink of destruction. You know, there was a lot of things that occurred in my life. So to use those events that happened in my life as a allegory for the evolution of society, not only where we've been, but where we need to go. And so uh, I wrote the book in first person present tense. So it should read like a novel um, because, because of the present tense and, and the, the ability uh, in present tense to be able to do uh, scene development and, and things like that and to, and to bring the reader along with you on the journey as it's happening. And so the autobiographical narrative, the first person present tense autobiographical narrative starts at the moment of conception. So the entire, the entire prologue was, was, uh, <laughs> simulated to be of written uh, in in vitro. <laughs> so um, the whole prologue are the events of uh, the fe the fetus known as Ron's de <laughs> development, <laughs> and therefore, if that's the literal meaning of the prologue, then the reason why Linda Lickbaugh is the co-star is I'm your mom. You're my mom. You're my mom. <laughs> you're that. How did I say it? You're that which is not me. <laughs> I, now, I, now I forgot what, exactly what I wrote. You were, you, were, you were that which is not me, right? Right. So you were the boundaries of my universe for the first nine months of my existence uh, mm -hmm. on this planet. And so uh, there is going to be, you know, uh, a, a metaphor used for that in, in the development of life on earth and uh, the evolution of life on earth and um, and to bringing us to the point where, where we've been and, like I said, where, where we need to go. So with that out of the bag, <laughs> um, what were the things that you were holding back uh, discussing before? Um, I, I really got carried away because I started thinking about um, the Buddhist and Hindus' beliefs of um, reincarnation, of being reborn. Mm -hmm. And... A new life is a new beginning and new hope to make things better. And so, you know, man, as as we get older, have the opportunity to have our own rebirth through awareness and knowledge. And I think that's what the, the train of thought that I started to use to interpret other things that you had written. And you know, as an infant struggles to be born, man struggles to break through his own path to enlightenment. And the other thing that came to mind was that 
Um, you were talking about how you were connected to the universe, or I forgot what the beginning was, but you, the most important thing you got was information. And if as humans, we all are born with the same uh, uh, blueprint. <laughs> there you go, same blueprint, we all have knowledge. It seemed to me that there might be some sort of um, uh, collective consciousness you know, amongst people innately and able to have that connect, uh, collective consciousness. And with all the distractions that we're faced as we go through life, you know, ordinary problems, people lose sight of the fact that we aren't just one person. We're connected to everybody else in some ways. And um, the people who become more aware of that are people who do things on more of a global scale, things that don't just benefit themselves, but benefit many others, like uh, that Pakistani girl, Malala, you know, and she was just trying to get education for girls. And she brought that out. And, and then people started thinking about that, how um, uh, unfair it is that girls are not given the opportunity to broaden their knowledge in other countries. Mm -hmm. And then you have that other uh, girl, what was her name? Um, uh, Greta. Greta. She was from Denmark, I think, or Sweden. And she started championing the cause of environmental issues. And in doing so, she was bringing up the consciousness of a lot of people, young right. people, right. who became aware. These are problems we're all faced with as a global community yep. so you know that's i started getting carried away with that whole theme yeah, well, good. that's what you're that's that's the intention is is for people to to um bring their own meaning out of it too i mean i have there's a lot of intended metaphorical meanings you're touching on some of them you know it, most of them center around the awareness that there's a bigger world out there than what we normally perceive as as being the extent of our reality uh, there's a much bigger, there's a much bigger thing at play, uh, and that shifting our perspective. And and I, I use the term dolly zoom throughout the book, and I'll explain it in a minute. But to dolly zoom our perspective uh, to see to see other things. Um, but in the prologue, juxta, juxtaposed against the tranquil scenes in the womb were the events that were happening in the world. And so we mm -hmm. had the, 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 the first launch of a human in space, Yuri Gagarin. We had the first American, uh, Alan Shepard. We had the, the, the civil rights unrest that was in the United States at the time and, and actually throughout the world in, in some cases, um, and, you know, epitomized by the Freedom Riders and, and what they had to endure. We had the, the uh, Berlin Wall being erected. Uh, and then on the very day that I was born, when you were giving birth to me, uh, on the other side of the world was an ex the largest man-made explosion to this day uh, with the Tsar Bomba that the Soviet Union had, had detonated, which, as I said, uh, is going to really serve as a juxtaposition against uh, the opening of Chapter 1. Um, and I, I won't give that away, but uh, uh, it, it, I hope you find it interesting, the scene and the setting of Chapter 1, wh where it opens uh, in relation to that. Um, but there are, you know, many, many other intended metaphorical meanings um, and Easter eggs uh, thrown in there throughout throughout the prologue. Um, 
And so I, I know that um, we had discussed this before and, and you had shared with me some of the things that you, some of the similarities with what you read in the prologue with what you experienced in your own life and how I remember you, you had told me that when you, you were younger that, you know, you basically thought the universe, you know, was, you know, maybe, maybe extended beyond the Hudson river. I don't know, but, but, you know, you know, barely extending beyond yourself. Right? right. And I think all of us, and that's, you know, in the prologue, my universe was myself, you know, was myself. All I knew of the universe was what I could experience with my senses. Right. And I didn't know anything beyond that. Right. And I, and I remember you sharing with me that um, many people live their whole lives in that state of not really uh, realizing that there's a much, much bigger universe out there, a much, much bigger world. Yeah. People tend to stay in their own communities with uh, people who are uh, have similar cultures and they don't get to really uh, fully understand the variety, you know, of people that are in the world. Somebody said something to me once. They were to, it was a racial, a racial comment, uh, or actually it was a conversation that a mother had with the daughter and the daughter said, um, Maybe she had gotten some bullying at school for being black. And how the mother explained it to her, she said, think of the world as a, as a, a garden. And if you only have one particular flower in that garden, it'd be a very boring, ordinary garden. We need a lot of variety and you need to understand every plant that's in your garden. And I thought that was really a very profound thing to say to a child because it makes you become more aware of we all have different differences, different backgrounds, you know, different cultures, but yet it's beautiful. You know, everybody is still human. It's only one race, but there's so much variety and there's so much interest in what everybody's differences can bring. And so that I thought that was a very meaningful thing to say to her daughter, and I never forgot that. That that was Ruth London, by the way. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. who has been the book? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, the the story of uh, Ruth London is in is in the book. Um, yeah. So, in chapter one, actually, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, she was a very wise woman. Yeah, yeah. So, what what I I know that you. In the past, when we when we discussed this, you had a lot to say about empathy. That you that, that you brought some lessons of empathy out of the of the prologue, as well uh, as of being able to see other perspectives of of that. Um, does any any of that uh, ring out right now with you? Well, I just know that with media coverage as it is today, you really get to see the suffering of other people, you know, all over the world. And it's almost a call to action, or it is a call to action to a lot of people to try to alleviate some of that. And I think that when you're in the dark about what's going on and anything outside of your own community, you don't have the empathy or the opportunity to, to have empathy for other people. So that, um, I think, as much as the media is criticized, a lot of it is very helpful and just bring awareness about a lot of different problems that we face as a, a, a global community. Yeah. And so I mentioned the term Dolly Zoom before, and I said I would exp explain what I mean by that. And uh, many of you 
already know what I mean by that, but uh, a major theme that I bring out in the book is, is this thing called dolly zoom. And a dolly zoom is something, is a term that I borrowed from cinematography, and it means uh, basically dollying or rolling the camera back as you zoom the lens in or, or vice versa. And it was used in films like Jaws and Spy Games and, and Vertigo and, and uh, some other films. And it serves to heighten the viewer's experience, right? To, to give depth to a scene, to, to um, challenge the viewer's perception of reality as the background stretches and the foreground remains in the same spot. Um, and I borrowed that term because I think it's a, it's a perfect description of what we need to do to a lot of the situations on, on our planet, a lot of the challenges facing us and the problems facing us. And that's to zoom out, zoom out to the widest possible geographic perspective that we can. But as we zoom out to that big picture perspective, we don't lose focus on the worm's eye details on the ground. We don't zoom out to the point where people become statistics or numbers on a spreadsheet or a consumer group or a workforce or whatever it is. They, they maintain their, their, their identity as a valued member of our one human family, right? So, so it's, it's the keeping in focus of the, of the very microscopic as we zoom out to the macroscopic. But it also has a temporal uh, component to it as well in that we have to zoom out to the long term and by long term i mean multi-generational so for every decision or policy or, or course of action that we take we need to think about what is the effect on our great-grandchildren what is the multi-generational effect of this of, of this decision and normally all we focus on is the next shareholder report the next election cycle mm -hmm. um, you know you know we're very very short-sighted in that but we can't just zoom out to the multi-generational and lose the, the, the short term as well. So we have to keep, both are important and both have to be balanced. The, the last part of it is a part that really came to me on a spacewalk. And when I was out on a spacewalk and I was looking at this incredible scene below me, 240 miles below me, I realized that my perspective of this beautiful planet was changing by five miles every second. And mm. the, the power of seeing multiple perspectives. You know, two perspectives gives you stereoscopic vision and you can start to see 3D, you can start to see the depth. The more perspectives we bring to the equation, the deeper the understanding of the situation and the, and the challenges and the potential solutions because we see the true depth of it. And so I think that is a, is a really uh, important theme that is, is throughout the book of being able to, to do that. And so going back to your point, Mom, you know, all these these different flowers in the garden <laughs> are representative of different perspectives. Right. And we as a species get our strength from the diversity of our of our perspectives, of the diversity diversity of our approaches, uh, particularly to problem solving. And when we put ourselves in a narrow, you know, uh, echo chamber walled container, um, we miss out on a great deal of the value that other people and other perspectives bring. And, and that's a major, uh, major tenet in floating in darkness. Mm. Well, I think it comes through it, as you read the book. I think that comes through and um, it gives you a lot to think about as far as as an individual. What can you do? Well, the book, the book is definitely a call to action. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a, uh, it's not, it's not an in-your-face call to action. I don't think. No, no. But, but it, I, you know, I hope, I hope people find it, you know, really interesting. I hope 
people find it provocative, uh, pro provoking thought and and deep uh, introspection and and um, to challenge their assumptions and to challenge their their view of the world uh, because uh, none of us has a completely accurate view of the world. None of us has a completely accurate and comprehensive view of reality. And so, you know, life is a journey of learning and uh, we have to continually expand our perspectives and expand our, our understanding. And, uh, and you can't learn anything if you already have all the answers. <laughs> so so I, I, I think um, what I humbly am presenting is um, a, a unique perspective on uh, this thing we called, this thing we call reality and this thing we call uh, the world. Um, yeah. So well, it, was a, it was a very interesting book. I have to say that. Yeah, well, I, I read it. <laughs> would, you, would you actually pay money to read it, though? I did pay money to read it. You did? How did you pay money to read it? I, 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 would you have this, uh, what is it called, pre-published? Uh, oh, you, you bought one of those? Yes, of course I did. You're my mom. You're like the only, the only person I would give a free copy to. Oh, oh well, thank you. Wow. Of course. It was well worth it. it was That's what excellent. I was going to give you for Christmas. <laughs> well, give me another one. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mom, th thanks for thanks for jumping on and, and sharing your insight, and thanks for being the co-star of the prologue. I couldn't have done it without you. Um, <laughs> and so, and and um, thank you for all the lessons throughout throughout my life that you've taught me, um, and and particular particularly in, in continuing to search for for meaning and to search for for truth and and to continue to keep an open mind about things, because I think that's a- That's, that's very a, important. That's very important. Yeah, um, yeah. You're a good boy. I'm a good boy, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so every, everyone say goodbye, say goodbye to mom. Thanks for, thanks for stopping in all the way from, uh, from Port St. Lucie, Florida. Right, okay, take all care. Right. <laughs> and uh, thanks, thanks again to mom for, for being here for that. That's, uh, that, that's wonderful. Um, and so what I want to do is I'm going to just break and show you just a quick uh, short video uh, and then I'd like to to jump back and, and really get into answering your questions and your comments that have come in uh, throughout the, the program so far. So uh, with that, uh, let's let's cut to, to the video. The origin story of my evolution began in the embryonic ocean of my mother's womb. Nine months later, I left the familiarity of this maternal ocean for solid ground. Nineteen years later, I extended my life into the ocean of air blanketing our planet. Twenty-seven years later, I climbed above the ocean of air and my life was elevated into space. Humanity's origin story begins in the prehistoric ocean of Mother Earth. Four billion years later, life was compelled to claw itself out of the familiarity of the ocean for solid ground. Life left the relative ease of the ocean for the promise of something better, fighting the crushing gravitational pull of the planet the whole way. The journey out of the ocean led to new adaptations, including the arrival of humans. 400 million years after life transcended the oceans, humanity 
extended itself into the ocean of air blanketing our planet. 58 years later, humanity elevated itself above the ocean of air and into space. Detaching from the planet enabled us to look back and see what we have always been, one single human family with a common origin and a shared future. On May 31st, 2008, my story intersected with humanity's origin story when I became the 478th person to leave the planet. This intersection coincided with humanity and all life on Earth, facing a crisis that threatens the very survival of life here, a crisis that humans must overcome, a crisis that requires a giant leap in humanity's evolutionary process, a life or death crisis that humanity can only solve by transcending individual and collective ego and embracing the true nature of its interdependence with every living thing on the planet and the planet itself. The crisis? We must evolve, see, understand, and act on the fact that we are all part of one human family, or we will perish. On the news today, you will not see many, if any, stories that illustrate humanity's evolution towards a more unified existence. Instead, the news bombards us with examples pointing to humanity's de-evolution to more primitive forms. It shows rampant divisiveness fracturing our species along national, parochial, partisan, racial, and religious lines. The news doesn't reflect the complete reality of the story. An awakening consciousness, a blossoming unity, could help us overcome the device of darkness. A darkness that surrounds us because we, like the prisoners in the allegory of Greek philosopher Plato's cave, are blind. The prisoners in Plato's cave lived their entire lives chained inside of it, facing a wall. They could see only the shadows cast upon the wall, nothing more. Sounds that emanated from behind them echoed off the walls, leading them to believe that the shadows were making these sounds. They believed in the shadows because they had never seen anything else. They knew no better life, so they did not desire to leave the cave. One day, one of the prisoners broke free of his chains and found another world where his eyes slowly adjusted, and he discovered that reality was not as he thought. He then realized that the shadows he had seen his whole life were mere projections of this outside world, which was superior in every way to his old home. With this new knowledge, he sympathized with those still trapped in the cave and desired to bring them out of it and into the light, the light of 16 sunrises illuminating an awe, wonder, and miracle-filled world. This book is that true story. Welcome back. So I hope you like that. That is uh, the narration of the introduction uh, to the to the book Floating in Darkness, and it comes right after the prologue. So it's kind of uh, if you didn't get the prologue as you're reading it, hopefully uh, <laughs> that will lead you along the way. Thanks for all the comments uh, about my mom. I appreciate that. Thanks for saying goodbye. Um, so we're we're coming up to the end of the hour. 
Um, I want to devote the rest of the time to, to answering your questions um, and to, to have a discussion with you. I, I'm so thankful that you, you guys hung along this journey uh, to the end. Uh, thank you for doing that. And um, uh, yeah, we do have a couple minutes left so we could, we could uh, get into a conversation. But I do want to say that this is, is the first in the series. This is the most abstract and most metaphorical uh, maybe the weirdest, um, <laughs> but we're going to get in the subsequent episodes, we're really going to get uh, dive deep into the messages of the book uh, in overcoming divisiveness. We have an episode on home, on, on what that word means, on, on the importance of the definition of the word home. Uh, the next episode, which is um, March 24th, same time, uh, 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific time, is all about overcoming divisiveness. And I, and as we all know, we're living in very polarized and divisive times. So uh, that should be a good one. Uh, and we're going to have episodes on, on unity. And that, that's what this is all about. It's about recognizing our true underlying unity and, and seeing the strength uh, from that. Um, I'll just pop up a couple of comments that came in. Um, thanks, Luke, for, for that. Yeah, there's a, there's going to be throughout the book, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of um, hints back to the womb, uh, umbilical cord and, and um, breath. Uh, there's a lot of discussions about breath and how and, and, and how that relates to evolution. And one of the things that I will say is that the writing of the book is an evolution itself. And so uh, if you hit parts, if you if you read the book and you hit parts that you think are, are a little tough and or maybe you don't agree with, know that it's probably going to change <laughs> because the book is an evolution. So the language in the beginning of the book is different from the language at the end of the book. The worldview in the beginning of the book is different than the worldview at the end of the book. So, so everything uh, evolves and changes. And so I also uh, want to remind everybody, and let me pop this up again, that we, that we have this special offer that we're going to do for this episode uh, that we can uh, get 25% off um, We'll probably keep this promo code uh, active uh, for a while, but the 25% uh, we can only keep on for a little bit. So please uh, join this journey. Uh, we we want to we want to hear what you have to say about the, the messages of the book um, and uh, where this is going. Uh, it is a call to action. Um, here's from Ron uh, Ron Rosano. Uh, thanks, Ron. It was lovely to have my mom. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, yep. Yep. Uh, I, I owe a lot. I owe a lot to mom. That's, that's for sure. Um, yep. And, and one, one of the, again, one of the main tenets is, is trying to increase, uh, empathy, increasing empathy that leads to, um, to altruism. So uh, with that, I'm going to bring this to a close. I, I, again, I thank you all so much uh, for being on this journey with us. Um, it's going to be a fun journey, I, I promise you. And uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to continuing this uh, as we go. Again, March 24th uh, at 10 a.m. Uh, is the next episode, and that's going to be all about uh, overcoming divisiveness. Uh, so with that, thanks, everybody, and, uh, and, and see you soon. See you next week or in two weeks.